want to thank everybody for being here again tonight. We have a, a good crowd, and uh, we're just so happy you're here. We're just so happy you're here singing songs with us to the Lord, and they've been beautiful songs once again, as they always are. I needed to grab my songbook. My wife told me I was singing the alto part during the invitation song last night. though no, I didn't know, so make sure I get the right part this evening. Uh, I'll probably say a few things at the end of this, so I'll make this, this short, but uh, sure do appreciate y'all. In so many ways, more of the ways than you know, we have valued our time here uh, with you. It, it's been a treasure to us. Every home we've been in, every conversation we've had, every hug and every kind word. And we know that throughout the year, y'all are praying for us and everyone else. And I want you to know we're praying for you. Um, and we value the labor that you, you put out in the kingdom. Uh, God bless you. You're valuable to somebody. And I want to talk about this evening, that this evening, uh, for just a little bit. And I want to look at your value through the lens of maybe a verse that, that might seem a little bit different at first. It's another verse in Galatians, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. The scripture, or Paul to the Galatians, said this, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You ever been worn out? I think that's a silly question. You ever been worn out? I mean, I've seen little toddlers that get worn out. We say they never get worn out, they get worn out. And we just get busier and busier as life goes on, and we get more and more worn out. Sometimes there are phases in life that are busier than others. But I think for Christians, there are times in life where we might get worn out. And it's in those times whenever we get worn thin and worn out and, and troubled and weighed down by the weights of the world that we forget how much we are needed in the kingdom of God. And I want to use somebody out of the Old Testament to illustrate this. Now, I won't be reading this whole story. We're just going to tell it a little bit tonight. But if you're following along in your Bible, it's in 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18 is where this story kind of begins. It's not really, I guess, the beginning of the story, but it's Elijah. You know, these prophets, they had a tough time, especially the ones in the northern tribes. Ahab was the king at the time, but Jezebel was pulling the strings and calling the shots. And the shots she was calling was that all the prophets of God need to be put to death. Obadiah, he was hiding prophets of God in, in caves, if you'll remember. And there's a long famine and a drought in the land. And all of the prophets of God are in hiding. But one day, God comes to Elijah and he said, it's time, Elijah. It's time. I want you to call up Ahab, get together. It's time that we end this. We're going to end the drought. We're going to end the tyranny. It's time. Can you imagine the excitement after all the oppression that he finally feels? It's better than taking your mask off after COVID. It, it felt good. They were excited. Something's going to move. Something's going to happen. And so he sets off to meet with Ahab. Ahab doesn't meet him alone. He meets him with several hundred of these prophets of Baal, this false god that Jezebel had everybody worshiping. And what Elijah does is he essentially throws down a, a competition or a gauntlet to him. And I, I've been calling it a, a sacrifice off. It's kind of like a dance off, but with a spiritual twist. This, this sacrifice competition, it, it might sound silly in some ways, but he wants to show these people who the real power is in the heavens. Is it Baal or is it the Lord God of Israel, the Lord God of creation, the only one in existence? And he said, what I want you prophets to do, all of you, and I want you to get this bull and build you an altar and we're going to have a burnt sacrifice. But let's have a caveat. After you cut this bull up and you put it on your altar, don't light it on fire. And you call out to your God Baal and see if he answers you by lighting the sacrifice on fire. And they accept his challenge. 
And they cut up their, their bull and they stick it upon the altar made of wood. And they cry out to Baal. It says they cried out night and day. They cried and they cried and they begged and they pleaded and they prayed. And then we see some brutal sarcasm out of Elijah. He's, he looks over and he says, fellas, maybe Baal's sleeping. He's taking a nap. Or maybe he's deep in conversation with somebody else. Or, or maybe he's on a journey or a vacation or something. Maybe you're just not loud enough. And, and I mean, as you can imagine, this really wore them out. They were upset. It said that they went to great lengths. The great lengths. They started cutting themselves, bloodletting. They, I'll tell you, they very vehemently believed in this Baal, didn't they? And finally, in the evening comes, and Baal has not answered their cries. Elijah said, enough, it's my turn. And so he clears off their altar, it's not good enough, and he gathers up 12 stones, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel, a shot to those northern tribes that have forsaken the other two. And then he builds his altar of wood, and around it he digs a trench, said you could have fit a couple bushel baskets in it. It's, a, it's not a little ditch, it's a big trench. And he cuts up the bull, and he sets it on the altar, and then he, he reaches up and he cries to the Lord God of Israel. Oh wait, no, he, he did one more thing. That would have been too easy, I guess. I don't know if you ever tried to light dry wood. It's pretty easy. I don't know. Sometimes it's hard. But wet wood's real hard. And he, he says, I don't want you to take these four barrels of water and, and dump it on the altar. Get it all wet. You know what? That's not enough. Do it again. You know what? Eight barrels isn't enough. Do it again. And said, there is so much water on this wood that it's filled up this, I don't know, bushel. If it's the same bushel I got, it's, it's about this high. Filled the trench up. There's a lot of water, and he cries out to the Lord God of Israel, and the Lord God of Israel, he licks down fire from the heavens, and he cleans the altar up. He consumes the wood. He consumes the sacrifice. He consumes every drop of water in the trench. And it's in, can you imagine the sight? These people who had been crying out to a fake God who didn't answer them, they fell on their face. Ahab said, the Lord God of Israel, he is God, and they praised him. But it's too late for them because of all the damage they'd done in the kingdom, their falsities, their heart wasn't in it. And there's this great battle that ensues after this. And, it, and Elijah, he fights against these, these prophets of Baal, and he slays several hundred of them, and the battle is won. Can you, can you imagine how worn out he is the next day? You ever have one of those real good days? You get a lot of things accomplished. Maybe you weren't fighting against false prophets like that and, you know, got the sword and everything. But you have one of those real good days, and you lay down super exhausted, but you're relieved. Because you had a good day at work. And because you can see good things on the horizon. It may have been a rough stretch. Well, life's about to get good. I think Elijah probably felt that way. But it was very, very fleeting. Because the next day he wakes up and his word has gone back to Jezebel, who's been calling the shots. She sends a messenger to Elijah and says, What you've done to my prophets, that's what I'm going to do to you. And Elijah, who'd worked so hard for the Lord, he just can't take it anymore, folks. And he is worn out. And he's weary and well-doing. And he goes out into the wilderness, and this is what he requests from God in 1 Kings 19 and verse 4. He went a day's journey to the wilderness. He sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, it's enough now. Oh, Lord, just take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. I can't get anything done. I've tried. I've tried, and I tried, and I'm just worn out. Everything that I've done, I felt like I, I made a difference for just a moment, and then, even then, it was worthless. I'm worthless, and I can't do it anymore. Just kill me. I hope you've never been that low. 
God didn't want him to be that low, certainly. And he sent a, he sent a messenger to Elijah. And, the, and that messenger fed him a little bit of food and took him further on out into the wilderness. They get in the cave and God is having this conversation again with Elijah. And in verse 14, says he says to God, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of the hosts because of the children of Israel. They've forsaken thy covenant and they've thrown down their altars and they've slain thy prophets with the sword. And I'm the only one left. And they seek my life to take it away. This is why he wanted to die. He felt like he couldn't do anything right. He had nothing in the tank left to offer, and he was all alone. I'll tell you, sometimes it feels that way in the kingdom, and it's never true. But it feels that way. It's that you work and you work and you work, but eventually in your well-doing, you'll get tired. You get tired of the slamming doors. You get tired of the hateful words. You get tired of the busted relationships. We talked about that a lot this week. And eventually what we do is we, we, we just we step back. Because we're weary and well-doing. And God looked at Elijah and said, no, this isn't it. You're not done. And you're not worthless. Sometimes we just, we have such a bleak outlook on what we can accomplish in the, in the kingdom. But God knows what you can do. And he knew what Elijah could do. Look what he says later on. Later on he says, here's what's going to happen. You're going to go on and you're going to get this great joy. Uh, an interesting thing. He was going to get to anoint a, 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 one of, a secular king, Hazel, over Syria in that northern area. And then he was going to get to put Jehu in, the son of Nimshi, over the northern tribes. He was probably about the best of the lot of all those northern kings, as good as they come. And then he said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abimahola, he's going to anoint to be a prophet of the room. You're going you're gonna to have a protege. Someone who's going to be able to take over. you got to train them up. And he said, look, man, you're not alone. There's 7,000 people left. All of these things that he felt, I, I can't do anything more. i got nothing left to offer. God said, no, 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 no. Great things are coming, man. Didn't I tell you it's time? I didn't say it was going to be easy. And it reinvigorated him to know he wasn't alone, you know. To know there was going to be a little bit of relief over how that, that she-devil, you know, Jezebel, and over Ahab, that man, he was wicked. And then he was going to get this co-worker in the kingdom. Came in the form of, of a pupil, someone he was going to mentor. But you think about the way that they parted later in life. Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind. They cried. They didn't want to leave. Where Elijah before had been saying, just kill me now. Now he's crying and saying, I don't want to leave you alone. I, I've enjoyed this. You know, sometimes when we're worn out... We forget we still have value, and he certainly did, didn't he? Great blessings were coming for the people of God in that region because Elijah got out from under his juniper tree and was no longer weary and well-doing and realized he was valuable again. I don't know how you're doing tonight, folks. I don't know how you personally feel if you feel like you've been laboring and laboring and laboring and a lot of things have been in vain. And maybe you feel like you've got nothing left to offer, but I want to tell you you're valuable, and you can't be weary and well-doing. Because in due season, we'll reap if we don't faint. Every time we take a step back, we forget that somebody is missing out on me. They're missing out on you, and they're losing a great blessing. I got just a couple of simple things tonight to show you how valuable you are to somebody. And I like to start first and foremost with not just the people in this room, but the people in the church itself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14, you're familiar with the teaching. He said, the body is not one member, but it's many. If the foot will say, because I'm not of the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear will say, because I'm not of the eye, am I not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? 
If the whole body were an eye, where was the hearing? If the whole were the hearing, where are the smelling? But now God set the members, every one of them, of the body as it has pleased him. Lots of different folks, lots of different responsibilities, lots of different abilities and gifts and things like that. He compares it to a body and about how all the senses and, 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 and parts of it work together. We've ate a lot of food this week and in half a week. I've enjoyed just about everything that I've eaten, probably everything that I've eaten. Um, I had a steak on Monday. I like steak like everything else, but i just tell you how I like my steak. A lot of times when you walk into those steakhouses, you know, I walk by first this, uh, this glass, you know, display case of red meat wonders, you know, most of them things I can't afford, but I love walking by those as she's leading the way, you know, to the table, and, and I keep looking backwards because, you know, a good steak looks real good. And I'm glad I got my eyes because I like looking at that steak. And then they bring that steak to the table, and I look down, and, and I love to see that butter melting on top. And then I like to take it in by smelling it, you know. There's nothing that smells quite like a good steak, you know. And I, I like to savor that smell. I talk to it a little bit, which makes Ellen weirded out a little bit, Karen. Talk to it a little bit about how beautiful it's going to be and taste good. And then, you know, like every other normal person, I like to taste it, and I'm glad that I can taste that thing, and I savor it, and I enjoy every single bite. I'm glad all of these senses work together to make an incredible experience out of my eating, and many other types of foods too, you know. Steak just seemed like a good one to use tonight. I'm glad I got them all. They work together to make it a good experience. You know, the church is like that too, that every single person brings something to the table, something needful, something that can make the experience good and pleasant, and you're a part of that. And he said, there's not an unimportant part in this kingdom. Everybody's important. Sometimes we get to feel like every other part in the body is more important than me. Sometimes we might look, you know these people, right? You ever been to the hospital to make a visit? I don't know how you feel, but sometimes I feel very awkward in those situations. And sometimes I don't know what to say. I talk a lot, but I'm going to tell you, I feel awkward and I don't know what to say. But I watch some people walk into those rooms and I feel like they know exactly what to say. And in a couple words, they can just comfort an entire family who's grieving and mourning. And I look at it and go, why can't I be like that? As a young man, and, and even now, sometimes I watch some of you different men and speakers. I listen to some of you folks here on the podcast. And I go, my goodness, listen to the talent of that teaching. And you know what? It's easy for a fellow to sit back and go, I don't got nothing to offer, which is obviously a bad look. And no matter what, no matter what we're talking about. Look, you've got a talent and you've got ability and it's important. Every single person here, I guarantee you, there's someone in here that whenever I talk about the ones who give the greatest hugs, maybe they're thinking about you. The person who walks in there with a smile that lifts them up no matter what's going on in their life, there's somebody you're thinking about. Maybe somebody's thinking about you. Whenever I start talking about who has great hospitality, your mind probably runs to a handful of people or, and memories that you shared in their homes through the years. Everybody's important and valued in this kingdom. What if Ian, what if Ian quits walking in here and trying to break your brat back with a hug? That's the way I feel with him. I'm going to tell you, I've gone through some hard times over the last couple of years. Some things that have been hard on me, but that man's been there for me. Phone calls and hugs, and I feel it when I see him. There's been people in my life who have meant so much to me, and I can't imagine they're gone. I can't imagine if they step back and they said, I'm through. And I'll tell you, somebody feels that way about you. If you're stepping back from this congregation, if you're stepping back from this family, people are hurting and they're missing you. You're valuable to them. You think about this is more than a club, folks. 
It's more than the chess team. It's more than any golf team. We're a family. Look at the promise Jesus made in Mark 10. In Mark 10, he said, verse 29, Jesus he said, Verily I say to you, there is no man that has left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother, wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospels, but he'll receive an hundredfold down this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and the world to come eternal life. In a family, do we have problems sometimes? Absolutely. Every, every family has problems. But I want you to think about what he offers here this is a promise that is <coughs> excuse me this is a promise that is predicated on you fulfilling the promise he said if anybody's going to forsake the world and lose out on family somebody's going to be there to fill the gap to stand in the hedge for you this was very real back at that time right people leave for Jesus' sake they very well might lose their life. Jews and that family, they might forsake him. You know, some of the Romans, they might forsake him and think that they're crazy, become a part of this Christian clan and family. And you might be a very lonely world when everybody you've cared about in your life suddenly doesn't want anything to do to you because you profess Jesus as the Son of the God and the sa- Son of Son of God and the Savior of your life. And you need somebody there so you don't feel all alone and let the weeds of the world pull you back into the world. But we need the same thing today in so many ways. I got a good mama and daddy. I'm still very fortunate that I got both my mom and dad. And they're good folks. And I know they love me very much and they feel, they feel a lot of emotional needs in my life. But I'll tell you this, they're not the only mom and dad I have. I, it was such a blessing to me whenever Ellen and I got married and we were down at the church in Lubbock. And I got to witness what it was like for the first time to be under a working eldership, Nathan. And those three men down there, they took me under their wing like, like fathers. And men like Rusty Springer and Sean Zebuck and Merle Fielder and, and some of you in this room. And it ain't no knock on my dad, but I got all of these different men who have each filled a different need for me and role in my life. You know what? This, year, this last couple years, they've been hard for a lot of people, a lot harder than for me. There's a lot of you in this room who have suffered loss, tremendous loss. Where have you turned to in your grief? And who's been there for you? Is it these people up here? Are they the ones who visit you in your affliction? Are they the ones who've hugged on your neck and they've cried with you? That's who you are for them. I want to talk to you young folks. You know, there's, as some of the older people get older, their, their kids either grow up and move off, or maybe they've lost them, and it means a whole lot whenever some of you teenagers and young adults or young married people will take up with them in their life. I know it. And it makes them feel special whenever you walk through these doors or into their life at any point, and instead of just running with your friends and stuff, that you take time and you say hi to them because they need family. They might need children to pay attention to them. I'm going to tell you as a parent what it means to me for some of the older kids. Uh, My little boy just turned eight, and I love Miles very much, and I hope that I'm a good example for him, and me and his mom are trying, but I don't think I'm enough on my own. I think he needs good examples of some of his peers and some of those older boys and girls for him. And, and this summer at one of the meetings, there was a whole group of boys, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, and they really took up with him. We were sitting in a, a teacher instruction. I was, I was leading the teacher instruction on how to head the communion table, and, and I asked all of these boys, I gave them different passages that I wanted them to use to practice, you know, talking to folks about the Lord's Supper. And deleted on Sunday and gave all of those boys a task to do with that. And they stepped to the plate, their older boys, and asked my son, do you want to do that? And he was very nervous and rightly so understood. He said, I don't think I can do it, Daddy. I don't know some of the words. And there was another older boy in there. 
And he looked over Miles and he said, I bet you can do it, Miles. And you know what? It emboldened Miles to do that. Some of the younger kids need you invested in the church and in the kingdom. Because sometimes as parents, we're not enough. Who's missing out on a relationship because you're not invested in their life? Don't tell me you're not valuable, folks. You're valuable to somebody. Everybody in this room has needs and relationships, and you can fill them. Whether it's us young folks who need the tightest two men and women to step in and talk to us and teach us and lead us on. Whether it's the younger folks to make us feel important and needed or, or somebody to, to help us just do good for us or to bear our burdens and fulfill the law of Christ or to serve and love or to rejoice or to mourn whenever bad things or good things are going, comfort and build them up. All the one, one another verses go on and on and on. The church needs you. You're important. You're valuable and you may feel beat up and you may feel tired and you may feel like you're not valuable here but you are needed and this church will thrive and this family will do good if you won't back down from the challenge of being a good family member you know what don't be weary and well-doing because you're valuable to somebody here you're valuable and not just to people in this room I say you're valuable to people outside of this room, people who've never even heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 2, Jesus looking at a, a ragtag group of people around him, people who were lost and scattered about, a sheep having a shepherd. He said, the harvest is truly great. Uh, sometimes we don't feel that way, Christians. Sometimes we say things like, nobody wants the truth no more. It's just so hard to get somebody to talk to the gospel. Jesus looked out and he said, look, the harvest is great. Where sins abound, grace abounds, folks. Where the darkness is, the light shines greater. He said, the harvest is truly great. The labors are few. And he said, pray, therefore, the Lord of harvest will send forth labors into his harvest. You know what I guarantee is happening right now, folks? I guarantee you, some of you out here are praying. You're praying hard every day that somebody will reach in the life of one of your loved ones who you haven't been able to get the gospel to aren't you? I'm praying that prayer too. We're praying that prayer as we ought to because we know that there's a great harvest that souls are important and they're valuable. And we've talked about that over the last couple nights. And he said, it's a, it's a, it's a, there's a shortage of laborers out there. That was way harder to say than it ought to have been. And so we pray and we hope that there isn't a shortage of harvesters. And if someone will enter into the life of our loved one and they'll make a difference, say the right word, fitly spoken at a fit time and it'll make a difference as much as you're praying that prayer for someone else to help your loved one know that you might be the answer to someone else's prayer maybe i've maybe i've run the length i've done as much as i can in someone else's life but maybe you haven't but you know if we don't step up to the plate and choose to pursue the teaching of this gospel actively maybe somebody else's prayer goes unanswered you see you're valuable you're valuable to your brothers and sisters here who are praying for their loved ones to be saved. Maybe it's you with the fitly spoken word. In Romans 10, I always feel like it makes it seem like the gospel is super simple. He says, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him and whom they have uh, not believed? And how they believe on him and whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent as it's written? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring the glad tidings of good things. Verse, verse 13 makes it seem simple. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a pretty simple thing. It isn't much more simple than that. We understand we call upon the name of the Lord just like the apostle Paul did. That we call out to God, invoke his name through his gospel. Faith in the operation of God in baptism. And we preach this gospel, or do we? 
Now, I'll tell you, you're valuable. There's a lot of people out in the world that they could be saved if they could just believe, if they could only hear. But how can they? If you're not teaching, you don't think you're valuable, look around your community. How many people on your street right now aren't in this room right now? There's opportunity, and you're the preacher, male and female, adult and child, senior and youth. Do you got pretty feet? I don't know, we all don't often think of feet as being a pretty thing. I think of Ellen's hair being pretty, like Ellen's hair, like her chocolate diamond eyes. That's what I told her they were one time after a dentist appointment. But I believe that even whenever I haven't, you know, been on the laughing gas. There's a lot of physical features about humans that we find uh, beautiful and attractive. But here he says, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. I haven't seen a lot of your feet in here. I won't go into great detail about describing mine, but I don't think they're very pretty. They're a little bit hairy. Franklin, you got pretty feet. Tim, you got pretty feet. I think, I think what he's talking about here is it's not about what they look like physically, but God looks at us and he treasures. He treasures the people who get up out of their seat, out from under their tree, and they go, their souls to be saved. And I'm not going to sit around. I'm going to go there for, and I'm going to preach the gospel. And you think about Paul and those dusty, nasty feet of those people who wore those sandals across those Samaritan deserts and up into Macedonia and across the Isle of Patmos. And the man had pretty feet, though they were probably dingy, because he went and he loved souls. And knowing the terror of the Lord, he warned men. And you can have pretty feet, too, if you'll realize you're valuable to somebody. And that's a great compliment from our God. You're valuable to the world. I think there's a lot of people out there that are probably looking for truth and they just haven't run across you yet. There's a lot of people out there looking for a place to belong and they're feeling empty inside and they don't know what's causing that void because they haven't heard about Jesus yet and about how he's the Prince of Peace and about he's the Savior of the world and about how he's the author of eternal salvation, about how he died for them on the cross. They haven't heard it and maybe they'll believe in it if you'll preach it. You're valuable to somebody. So don't be weary in well-doing. Step up to the plate. Get out on your street. Get into your family. Get into other people's homes. Answer some prayers and bring the gospel of peace and glad tidings to a lost and dying world. That should provide some purpose for us, you know, to understand that I'm valuable to somebody in this room and across the kingdom, to understand that I'm valuable to people in my community and in my sphere, that they need the gospel and I can provide that. But maybe that's not enough for you tonight. Uh, sometimes I think we forget how valuable man is to God. And, and I want to start there. How valuable just mankind in general is to God. You go all the way back to the beginning of the scriptures and after God, he made a, a world and he said it was good and he made the night and day and he said it was good. And he made vegetation, he said it was good. And, and he made all these animals and he said it was good. And then he does this. Genesis 2 verse 7 said, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. And there's a distinction there. There's a lot of people in the world out there that tell you that we're just another animal, that we're just another, uh, just another creature that God has built out there, and, and you're, you're not. He formed animals out of the dust of the ground. They're a carbon life form. That's true. We're like them in that way. Whenever I die, I'll probably rot, and I'll turn back to dust. That's the carbon base. But you're more than that. You're more than just flesh and blood and a little bit of dust off the ground. Whenever God made man, and every man and woman after that, he said man became a living soul. And God loved this man creation so much that he didn't just give them a little piece of the world he'd created, but he gave them a little piece of him, something that was going to last forever. 
And he gave it to you too, that eternal soul though. Matthew 16, 26, Jesus said, what's a man gonna be profited if he'll gain the whole world and he loses his own soul? What would a man give in exchange for his soul? There is nothing you possess, nothing you've ever owned, nothing you could ever own that is gonna be as valuable as this soul that you gave him. And it's a piece of him. He's been forever. He always was. Before light ever touched the skies, before there were skies, he has always been, and he put that in you. That's your soul. We understand that our soul will either live forever with him or it'll live forever in torment. God gave that to you because you're important as mankind. But I believe that it's more than just as man in general is important. I believe that every single person is important. Look at the words of, uh, of King David here in Psalms 139 and verse 1. Look how special he felt. He said, O oh Lord, you've searched me and you've known me. Moving on to verse 13, he says, For you possessed my reins, you covered me in my mother's womb. I'll praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. He's talking about when you a baby. There's a lot of people out there saying that babies, they, they don't matter, that they're not real babies. Inside a mama, mama's belly, that's not a real human in there. But he says, I know I was. You know, it's incredible what modern science can do. I, I don't, it may not be that modern today, but whenever Ellen was pregnant with Tori, everything I'd always seen as a kid was just a regular old black and white ultrasound, you know, of the baby and starts off with a little speck we affectionately call a little peanut, you know, and things like that. And people carry those in their pocket and show them to every person they meet in Walmart because they're so excited about the baby. They have just a little dot. And then later on in the pregnancy, we got to have an ultrasound uh, called a 4D and not a 3D, but a 4D ultrasound. And I'd never, you know, I'm a dude. I didn't know anything about this stuff. And, and I'll tell you, it was incredible because we didn't just see, you know, a little speck and, and a little outline of something. It, it shows vivid details, folks. You've probably seen one. And I could see Tori's little bitty cheeks, and I went, oh, my goodness, that little baby has a head full of hair, something I don't have as much of now. Head full of hair. I could see that. And I could see these little details, and I could see those little hands flexing and flexing. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I, I know this little baby so well already, and she's in the belly. And the truth is I didn't. I didn't know what she was going to sound like whenever she said her first little words. I didn't know that some of her first words were going to be whenever we go to McDonald's on Wednesday nights after church and we give her fries and we say, Tori, you happy? And she'd say, happy. <laughs> I didn't know how special she'd make me feel. You know, whenever I come back from trips and she comes running out to meet me and throwing her arms around me, I didn't, I didn't know what her voice was going to sound like. I didn't know that she was going to start off with a, a head full of jet black hair and it was going to turn lighter and that her, she was going to start off with, with bright blue eyes and they turn into hazel. I, I didn't know she'd obey the gospel at some point. I didn't know these, but God does. He knew you before anybody else. Your mom and daddy knew you. He knew you intimately, not a knowledge of, not a little acquaintance, he knows who you are and he follows you through your life you don't just be known in the belly and then God forgets about you because you're no longer a kid anymore like a lot of us parents to the grandparents you know I'm no longer a person anymore without my parents have grandkids God still cares about you he said this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 29. He said, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall to the ground without the father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are more value, or of more value than the sparrows. He said, You are more value than a bird. He said, You're so valuable, 
I know when a hair drops from your head. Uh, I don't know if you could tell, but I've lost a little bit of hair since the last time I've seen most of you. And I didn't know when it was all falling out. I suspected, you know, there were times whenever I was combing my hair and I, I thought a couple of ha- more hairs than ought to have fell out and fall. And I'd ask Ellen, do you, th- do you think I'm going bald? Do you think I'm losing my hair? And Ellen said, no, no, you're not going bald. And I think she kept saying that because I told her if I ever went bald like my dad, I was just going to shave it all off. And she didn't want me to do that, so Ellen kept telling me, uh, it's not that bad, or, or you're not really losing your hair. And, and we kept going on that way for a while. And one night we was, le- we was sitting there in bed watching TV, and I felt eyes just burning a hole in me. And I looked over there, and she looked back up at the TV, and I said, what? And she said, nothing. So I went back to watching TV, and a couple of minutes later I looked over, and she looked back up at the TV, and I said, what? And she said, nothing. I said, well, you keep staring at me. And she just got quiet for a few minutes, and later on, she just blurted out, you're not going to shave your head, are you? And I said, I knew it. I knew you knew I was going bald. And I suspected, but I couldn't tell for sure. It was just a little patch back here. But God knew. He knew the moment that the first one fell from my head and this horrible, awful baldness started. It's a good thing I was never pretty anyways. But he knows because God cares even about me. And he cares about my soul. And he cares about your soul. And he cares about how you live your life down here. He doesn't want it to be miserable. And, but he doesn't want you to find the pleasures of this world. He wants you to be content, labor in his kingdom, knowing that there is great reward at the end of this life. If you'll understand how valuable you are to him and give yourself to him. He knows the hairs of your head. He knows the thoughts of your heart. He knows the fears. He knows the joys. He knows you. And all he wants to do is bless you. You're special to God. For when we were yet without strength, the new time Christ died for the ungodly, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet per adventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commends his love towards us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we'll be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. You want to know how I know you're important to God? Because he died for you. He didn't just die for you. He let his son die for you. He didn't just let his son die for you in the moment or a spur of the moment decision. Before he created a single human on this planet, he said, I want to put a plan in place put a plan in place that if they forsake me and if, if ever Lee he leaves the fold and he leaves the teachings of his parents and he goes out there and he makes bad decisions that he can find his way back to me in a relationship and you know what son you're the answer and you're going to leave everything beautiful behind you're going to leave me behind for the first time in eternity and you're going to be, be go be one of those wretched carbon-based humans but you're going to do it right no matter how hard it is, because I love every one of them so much, you're the price. You think you're not valuable to God, so you haven't been given everything in your life? He gave his son for you. You're valuable to somebody, not just the people in here, not just other people out there, but the one who created them all. You're valuable. You're known, you're seen, you're loved, and you can be saved. If you need the gospel of Jesus Christ tonight, don't wait. Receive the message. Receive the gospel. If you believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, that he can forgive your sins, give you a new life, then you can obey him in baptism. Faith in the operation of God and the one who raised his son up. God who raised Jesus up from a, a, a burial in the ground will raise you up from that watery grave to walk a new life. Forgiven of sins. 
Why? Because you're valuable to somebody. I want you to take stock of your life tonight. Whether you haven't obeyed the gospel, understand that the beginning of your life and being valuable to everybody else in here starts with the service to God. It starts with letting Jesus serve you with his gospel. But if you've obeyed that gospel and you find yourself as someone who's become more aloof, step back in. If you find yourself to be someone who has been working and laboring and trying and the hits keep coming and you just feel like you can't keep going and you're sitting under your tree right now, don't be weary and well-doing. You know, sometimes what we need is a center to that tree for just a minute. We need to be heard as Elijah was, and then we need to let God pick us up. And maybe, maybe you need to talk to one of his people tonight about the great opportunities in this family, in this kingdom, about forgiveness, about how much they've missed you. Maybe you need somebody to pray with you and, and to study with you or just spend a little bit of time so that you can be reinvigorated like Elijah was so you can get up and you can go be of great value to God's people don't be weary and well-doing, brothers and sisters. You're too valuable, and you're so valuable to me. But if we, if we can help you in any way this evening, I want you to please come sit on one of these seats while we're led in this song by Brother Tim.